Welcome to Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me, as always, is the woman who, if stranded on a desert island, would probably be okay with it. It's Lydia. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait, what does that mean exactly? (laughs) Like, I would be most likely to survive, or like, I am the most anti-social person you know and have no friends. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking maybe you would enjoy the solitude. That's I may, you know, I would. It depends on if I had some books with me or not, or some uh, some old films. Oh yeah, or yeah. And Wi-Fi, so you could like stream more <laughs> and, and talk to yes, and do the podcast. Great. Yeah, yeah, that'd be easy. Desert be Island easy Podcast. Sentence. I like it. Desert Island Podcast. Okay, I have a new idea. <laughs> well, before we go any further, I want to first thank everyone for tuning in. We certainly do appreciate it. Orphan Entertainment is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, if you have the option to do so, rate and review the show. It really does help get the show out to more people. Another great way to help is just by sharing the episode you're listening to on whatever social media platform you use. If you're a Facebook user, there is a group that you can join. And this is a great place to find out what we're going to be covering next. And it's an easy place to leave any comments on the films or episodes. We do have a YouTube channel as well, and there you can watch many of the films that we've covered here on the show. Just go to YouTube.com and search for Orphaned Entertainment. If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. And speaking of messages, uh, we actually have one to share today. Hey, Christopher. It's Bill Mize over at the Bill Watches Movies podcast, and as promised, or as threatened, I'm calling in with some feedback on your show. First, and more importantly, I want to say how wonderful it was to meet you at Monster Bash and get to hang out with you on Saturday night and trade movie stories and podcasting stories. It was really nice. Uh, The Bash is always a great place to reconnect with old friends and, more importantly, meet new friends. And I'm glad to meet someone else here in the Monster Kid podcasting world. And I hope that this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, to borrow a phrase. Okay, the mushy stuff is over, and let's get down to brass tacks. I'm ashamed to admit that even though I've known about Orphaned Entertainment for a few years, I just never got around to listening to it. And now that I've made good on my promise and listened to a few, I checked out The Giant Leeches, The Brain That Wouldn't Die, and Jesse James Meets Frankenstein's Daughter. I gotta tell you how happy I am. Now, yeah, judging by the episodes that I searched out and downloaded, I have a definite type, and I'm grateful that you all seem to like that type as well. You've got a brilliant little show here, and more importantly, you've also got a new subscriber. I love that the fact that you keep the shows to about an hour. My own shows, including script, clips, sound effects, blah, 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 they all tend to run north of two hours, and listening to your show I mean, you set the table, you serve the meal, you have dessert, after dinner drinks, the bill, and then you're out of there. It's just a great alternative to the longer shows out there. Definitely 
definitely keep doing that, my friend. I know that myself and a lot of other monster kids out there appreciate shorter, bite-sized shows as well. Okay, there you go. I wish you the absolute best of luck with the show, and I look forward to many more episodes from y'all in the future, and I'll also keep scouring your back catalog for little B-movie monster gems. Thank you again for your company at Monster Bash, and thank you for this great little show. I'll see you again soon, I am sure. Y'all take care. God bless. I'm out of here. Thank you very much, Bill. That was an awesome little bit of a message. Uh, it was a joy meeting you uh, face-to-face at, at Monster Bash. And uh, thank you so much for the kind words of the show. And I, I love the, the choice of films that you've picked to start with on the show. Yes, you definitely have a type. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say. Bill, you couldn't see it. Or if you could, I'm worried. But the whole time we're listening to that, I'm just like grinning and clapping silently. Like, oh, that's so much fun to hear. Thank you so much for listening and for feedback. Uh, Positive feedback is always so nice to hear. Of course, we love to hear constructive feedback as well. But uh, so glad to find somebody else that likes to hear and see some of the kitsch we like. (laughs) Yes. I'd be very curious if he goes and listens to the uh, the last woman on Earth episode. Oh, I think yeah. that would fit his type, and I, I, I'm wondering what he would think of that episode and what he thinks of that film. I'd be yeah, that'd be very interesting to hear. Very very interesting to hear. Gosh, there's so many out there that we've watched that are even our very first episode, which still has a fond place in my heart. Uh, Prisoners of the Lost Universe. It's not what we think of as much as an old film, quote unquote, but it is one of those just special, <laughs> oh, special, it, it's special, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to watch it and not be amused at points. So, um, yeah, I hope you keep listening, Bill. I hope you keep finding episodes that you really enjoy. Yeah. But I, I, I maybe actually wouldn't recommend going that far back in the catalog. I have listened to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so our presentation has hopefully grown over the years, over so. the near decade. We're very, very close to that point. But um, it's, it's still a fun movie to watch, even if you choose not to listen to the podcast. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's that's the route I would take. <laughs> but we all start somewhere. So it's if without that episode, we couldn't have this episode. Exactly. Well, again, thank you very much, Bill. Anyone else? You know, all the emails or anything else, uh, just follow the link in the show notes to all our social media sites, as well as learn how that you can uh, support the show financially, if you'd be so kind. With that, let's go ahead and listen to one of the five-minute mysteries and a promo for another podcast. And I think it will indeed be uh, Bill Watches Movies. Uh, and when we return, we will see if 1938's Sinners in Paradise is worth a rescue. <laughs> Another five minutes mystery.
Egypt. Night. Silhouetted against the amber sky stands the cold and foreboding tomb of Prince Fede Ki'am. At the entrance of the tomb stand the figures that compose the Campbell expedition. Open, Campbell. Good. Well, gentlemen, are you all ready? Indeed, we are, yeah. yes. Good. Uh, Dr. Martin, you go first. As you wish. I'm right, Penier. Right. Uh, Bill Crane. Yes, sir. And I'll take up the rear. Boy, is it dark in here. What'd you expect in a tomb, sunlight? I wonder what would happen if we got lost in here. You know, Pena, you always manage to come up with the nicest thoughts. Why are we stopping? There are four passages branching out here. Oh, that's just fine. I suppose the only thing that we can do is to each take a passage and see where it leads to. How does that sound? Oh, that's that's all right. to do. Yeah. All right, Ben. And if you find anything, just shout and we'll all come running. Boy... It really is dark in here. And where all these passages lead to? Oh, well. Good Lord. What was that? What happened? Hey, what, what was that shot? What's happened? Uh, what uh, was Dr. that Martin, shot? What's happened to Campbell? Uh, he's been shot, I guess. I was exploring that other tunnel when I heard a shot. I, I came running and found Campbell like this. But who shot him? And he must have shot himself. But his gun is still in his holster. Yes, he... He must have tripped on this loose gravel, and the gun went off when he fell. Well, come on. We can't let him lie here. Help me carry him out. Well, gentlemen, I've examined him. And? I was right. The bullet I took out of his body was fired from Campbell's own gun. I'm sorry to hear you say that. Why? What do you mean? Just that I'm holding you, Dr. Martin, for Campbell's murder. What single clue led Crane to believe that Dr. Martin killed Campbell? In just a moment, we'll give you the solution, but first... If you love Mystery Science Theater 3000, then I'm here to tell you that my podcast, Bill Watches Movies, is just like that. Well, except that there's no robots or mad scientists. But if you're a fellow weirdo, find the show in your favorite podcast machine or at BillMakesPodcast.com and... Powered by the occasional shot of bourbon, we will take a humorous look at the B-movies of our past. Again, that's Bill Watches Movies. Bourbon not included. And now, back to our story. But Campbell wasn't murdered. He shot himself. That's what you try to make us believe. What do you mean? Just this. You said Campbell shot himself when he fell. But his gun was in his holster. Well, well anyone knows you can't fire a gun until you've drawn back the firing pin. But what you forgot is that no one has the firing pin released when they're carrying a gun in a holster. But that just proves that Campbell was murdered. It doesn't prove that I killed him. Oh, yes, it does, Mr. Martin. You just told us that the bullet you removed from Campbell's body was fired from his gun. But that's impossible. Therefore, you switched bullets. An innocent man wouldn't have done that. No, Dr. Martin. That one clue proves that you and you alone murdered Campbell. Sinners in Paradise is a 1938 film directed by James Whale and stars Madge Evans, John Bowles, Bruce Cabot, Marion Martin, and Gene Lockhart. A passenger aircraft en route to Shanghai crashes in the Pacific. Gilligan the Professor and Marianne... No, wait, sorry, wrong group. <laughs> Oh, man, you've got me. (laughs) 
<laughs> the survivors reach an island inhabited only by Jim Taylor and his Chinese servant, Ping. He declines to give them any help, telling them they need to fend for themselves. The group see his boat anchored offshore, but he refuses to let them take it or return them to the mainland. His reasons shrouded in mystery. The group become an uneasy community as they learn to work together and learn about each other and themselves. Taylor even warms up to them, especially Anne. This proverbial Eden has its own temptations, and as truths surface about Taylor and the others, it looks as though this group of sinners are destined to be cast out of paradise. James Whale was an English film and theater director who spent the greater part of his, his career in Hollywood. He is best remembered for the horror films Frankenstein in 1931, 1932's The Old Dark House, 1933's The Invisible Man, and 35's The Bride of Frankenstein. He also directed films in other genres, including the 1936 version of the musical Showboat. Whale was openly gay throughout his career, something that was very rare in the 20s and 30s. As knowledge of his sexual orientation had become more widespread, some of his films, Bride of Frankenstein in particular, had been interpreted as having a gay subtext, and it has been claimed that his refusal to remain in the closet may have led to the end of his career. His career went into a sharp decline following the release of the film The Road Back in 1937. This was the sequel to All Quiet on the Western Front, based on the novel of the same name. The film follows the lives of several young German men who have returned from the trenches of World War I and their struggles to reintegrate into society. The Los Angeles consul for Nazi Germany, George Gisling, learned that the film was in production. He protested, arguing that the film gave an untrue and distorted picture of the German people. Wales' original cut of the film was given generally positive reviews, but sometime between preview screening, screenings and the film's general release, studio head Charles R. Rogers capitulated to the Germans, ordering that cuts be made and additional scenes be shot and inserted. The altered film was banned in Germany anyway, and the Germans were successful in persuading China, Greece, Italy, and Switzerland to ban the film as well. Following the debacle of the road back, Rogers assigned Whale to a string of B-movies to run out his contractual obligation. Whale only made one additional successful feature film, The Man in the Iron Mask, in 1939, before retiring from the film industry in 1941. He continued to direct for stage and also rediscovered his love for painting and travel. His investments made him wealthy and he lived a comfortable retirement until suffering strokes in 1956 that robbed him of much of his uh, vigor and left him in pain. He committed suicide uh, in 1957 by drowning himself in his swimming pool. Now on this film in particular, Madge Evans, in an interview with Leonard Malton in Film Fan Magazine from December of 72, she spoke about James Whale making this film. She says, well, this was not a James Whale kind of film. He was much too intelligent, much too good a director for this kind of nonsense, which was all about people cast adrift on an island. A dreadful picture. And he was much, much too good for it. He hated well, it. And, and also, he, at least it didn't have a smoke monster. <laughs> no smoke monsters. <laughs> uh, she goes on. She says she, he hated it. And also being a rather uptight Englishman, he showed that he hated it. You could just see every time he came in, came to a scene, he was saying, oh, my God. And that doesn't make anybody feel either confident or happy. Oh, poor James. Well, uh, an amazing director 
and it's so unfortunate that his career took such a turn. And yeah, unfortunately, we have no idea whether it was his sexuality. We have no idea if it was just his general attitude, uh, you know, why it, it, it had happened. There was, I saw another interview with a, a friend of his, a Curtis Harrington, I believe, who said that he wasn't like flamboyant and like screaming from the rooftops that he was gay, mm-hmm. but he didn't hide it either. Well, I, Cole Porter was, well, I suppose technically Cole Porter was n- nominally married, wasn't he? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to totally mess up my facts here. Never mind. Ignore everything I just said. I just, when you think of people at this time in Hollywood that were rumored to be gay or that were later confirmed to be gay, I mean, you know, you think of Cole Porter, you think of Tyrone Power, Tyrone Power a little later, of course. Um, and people went on to be pretty successful, but I think, I think there was a, a significant level of, you know, putting a, on a face mm. about it, even when their close friends all knew what was going on, they still had the nominal marriage or, you know, failed marriage at least that, you know, could say they could always point to and say, oh, well, no, he was married once or, oh, well, you know, he dated this, this actress and this actress and this actress. And maybe, you know, and I certainly I know far less about it probably at this point than you do. But um, but it's amazing to me that a person there, he did, I didn't realize that he had done the, I don't know if this is the original showboat or if this is just an earlier version of the, the showboat that I know of, but there, there's actually for such a short 23 credit list, whale had some very interesting titles in it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, the, the invisible man on there and then man in the iron mask. And it feels it's, it's surprising. It's just surprising to me that I hadn't heard his name. Like I hadn't really noticed his name before. Oh, really? I feel like I should have, maybe I'm just waving my ignorance around. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly knew him from the horror films. Like we've mentioned, like the, you know, Frankenstein, and uh, the Invisible Man. You do more of those, though. So yeah, I do watch you know, those quite a bit more than. Let me just slide my excuse in under the rug. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's so you know. I rec- I see Showboat and go, oh, he did he did a version of Showboat. Oh, but you know, of course, I think you're right. I think it might depend a bit on what you have a tendency to look for in movies. You know, if you want to learn a little bit more about him. And granted, this would be a dramatized version. Um, but there's a 1998 film called Gods and Monsters with, uh, starring um, Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser. Oh. And Ian, oh. McKe- Ian, Ian McKellen plays uh, uh, James Whale. Wow. Yeah, that's thank you. That's a great resource. Yeah. Definitely I, am interested in that. Yeah, so like I said, obviously it's going to be dramatized. It's not going to be an... Right, (laughs) truly accurate portrayal of the man's life, but it's actually it is a. I remember thinking it was a very good film, Mm -hmm. and real interesting. So you might want to look that one up. And Ian McKellen. I mean, you can't go wrong watching Ian McKellen. No. (laughs) Well, and ironically, you said Ian McKellen, and and I thought, oh, that sounds good. And then you said, and Brendan Fraser, and I was like, okay, now I got to (laughs) watch. Those two actors in the same movie kind of makes that a requirement. Yes. 
But we should talk a little bit about Sinners in Paradise, this South Seas adventure as it's a uh, as it's described. Well, I have a little bit. I want to provide a little bit of background. Please. So this movie was filmed was released in 1938, and it takes place. It starts off at an airport, and we see each of our cast members uh, either getting their tickets or being interviewed before getting their tickets on the phone and so on in preparation to get on this flight, and. They and I just kind of got curious, you know. I always look up the one thing that, like, why would anybody look that up? <laughs> so I got really interested in looking at because uh, the first, I don't know, quarter of this movie takes place on an airplane and takes place on an airplane in the 1930s, mm-hmm. which to me is a magical place. I'm so <laughs> excited about an airplane in the 1930s. Okay, a if seaplane you, at that. Oh, if you have never seen, all of you listening, if you've never seen the interior of a plane in the 1930s and 40s, you need to go look up these images. At this time, they were calling them airboats, not mm-hmm. airships. That's a little bit different, but they were calling them airboats, and they were outfitted. Some of them were outfitted like the insides of ships, like the insides of private yachts. They're incredible looking. And so when you're watching this and you see people wandering around on the plane while it's in flight, just hanging out, you know, carrying their luggage around, this is a real thing. So I had to I had to see a little bit of history on this. It turns out that I have to pull up my notes here so that I can give it uh, give you correct. The um, airmail, which we now take great advantage of, was established in 1918, 20 years before this movie. So we have consistent airmail going around, you know, uh, to different countries, to different cities, of course, all that for 20 years. The first transatlantic flight, Charles Lindbergh, I believe. 1926 only 12 years before this Mm -hmm. 12 years and then first side note first female flight attendant 1930 only eight years before this movie the first coast-to-coast uh commercial flight was i'm sorry the first atlantic flight that was 1926 was the first atlantic commercial flight i'm Mm -hmm. sorry i gave you the wrong information the first uh coast-to-coast Commercial flight, uh, California to New York, direct flight, 1933, only five years before this movie. And it take and it would take 18 hours, an 18-hour <laughs> coast-to-coast flight. Now, I said nonstop. It may not have been nonstop. They may have stopped to refuel, mm-hmm. but it was one continuous plane right. that you got on and got off on the other end of the, of the country. Um, flights across the Pacific started – in commercial flights across the Pacific started in 1936, two years before this movie was released. The first, so really this was made probably, if not 1937, then early 1938. And so this had only been a thing for about a year. So this movie would have been really exciting. (laughs) We're talking about like if we suddenly had the ability to go to Mars and somebody was making a movie about a spaceship crash landing on its way to Mars a year later, this is really exciting (laughs) stuff. And then, uh, and then commercial transatlantic flights didn't start until a year after this movie. 
Wow. Okay. People are still taking ships for the most part across the Atlantic right now. Mm-hmm. It's really – so when you look at it in that context and you start seeing people that are hanging out on sofas essentially in planes <laughs> and you start looking at – I think this is going to be – I think this is – if it's not actually when it's supposed to be a Boeing 314 Yankee Clipper, there are photos online of this. And believe it or not, there is actually a life-sized – um, reconstructed version of this plane if you want to fly all the way to Ireland. There's one in Ireland. Oh, gosh. It's in Foynes, Ireland, and I am such a fail. I actually did write down where it was from. Here we go. At the Flying Boat Museum in Foynes. Nice. It's Foynes Flying Boat and Maritime Museum. So if you want to actually get the chance to go on a plane, just like in this movie, you can still do it. <laughs> you can't That's fly awesome. in a plane, but you can actually go see a life-size one of this. It's a, it's fascinating. They had, they served full meals with china, silverware, wine, all of that kind of thing. They had a ladies rest area. They had a, a lounge and if you look up photos of planes at this time, you see a lot of cane back chairs. They didn't even use chairs bolted to the floors of planes yet in a lot of these planes. It's fascinating. Fascinating because I'm from 100 years later. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so much fun to look at these images and to see what it was like back then, um, to, to see what it would have been like. You know, they didn't have – nobody sat down and put on a seatbelt. There were no seatbelts at this point. Mm-hmm. There were no seatbelts in cars at this point, much right. less airplanes, which is – when you start really thinking – in that, when you start thinking about that, and then you start seeing how much this looks like lost at the very beginning of this movie, you really get a little bit of a mind twist. I have one other thing I want to add. So there, oh, two other things. I'm sorry. In this year that this movie was released, 1938, there were two Pan Am flights that were lost on this Pacific crossing. I believe at that time they were going to Hawaii. Um, one actually exploded in midair. Oof. Yeah, and the other was lost and never seen for again. So this movie where there's a flight going across the Pacific and it crashes actually would have been really thematic at that time. It would have been really topical because this was major, major news right now. In fact, one of Pan Am's, Pan Am's most famous pilot died in, I believe, the explosion. And it was one of those two, the, one of those two accidents. And so it would have been, you know, front page headlines and everything. So this, either this movie was just very fortunately made at a really lucky time, or they were really capitalizing on some major tragedies at this point. Ripped from the headlines. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more bit of information, but I'll save it to the end. Okay. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I love the fact, I mean, we are, this is 1938. It's only a little over 30 years since like Kitty Hawk. Mm-hmm. You know, before it was just canvas stretched over wood and two guys barely getting off the ground. Yeah. And then 30 years later, we're flying across the Pacific. Literally, you can buy a ticket, get on a plane, and step off the plane in an, across the across the globe on the other side of the planet. Something we take for I granted now. I was wondering how long a flight from, I think, didn't they take off from New York, though? And then uh, it, there's a point, oh, there's a point where the... They're taking off again, and the plane dips a little, and you can see the monument in um, San Francisco. I was looking through the window. I was looking, you know. Oh, nice. And and it's the Jack, uh, my husband and I were there a couple years ago, and we climbed that hill, and then, you know, that really famous hill, and you look down from the radio tower, and you can see all of San Francisco laid out below you. And I could be wrong, but I had 
super confident that I'm not. And so then I think they show them also landing in Hawaii and they're refueling for each of these. And I'm sure taking on, you know, provision supplies. Mm -hmm. And then after that, the fateful accident occurs (laughs) after they leave Hawaii. uh, It it is something, I don't know how much the ticket cost back then, but how long you must have been on that plane. (laughs) Do you? <laughs> well, a ticket to Foynes in nineteen in uh, around this time, nineteen thirty nine, I think, was something to the effect of three hundred and forty seven dollars one way. Ooh, wow, that was a good chunk of change. <laughs> it is a lot of money, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, you would be on that plane, my gosh, for days. It really would have been probably a couple of days to, to fly to New York to Shanghai. Mm-hmm. That would be. Days of of air of air travel. Well, so New York to San San Francisco, we already know would have been eighteen hours, mm-hmm. and then you would have flown about that far again and landed in Hawaii. So yeah, you're talking yeah. two and a half, three days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So these people actually would have known each other pretty well by the time that they crashed. Yeah, absolutely. And you you think about it is you know about people you were talking about. You know, they they taken ships to cross the Atlantic or the Pacific or whatever. And yeah, you get to know people and cause you you're with them for weeks, if not you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, on yeah. end or whatever. So yeah, this was an abbreviated version, but still you're with these people for two or three days. Yeah. And you don't get to see it in the movie, but these Mm-mm. planes actually did have births just like you would see on a train. This, uh, I found this really great, page talking all about what it was like to fly on one of these Boeing 314s and they're talking about how it's it's like being on a train the berths are more comfortable you have more room and you can change clothes <laughs> and these are from people who had flown on them and they're like oh it's so much more it's more comfortable than a train because there's not as much vibration you would never know that you were you know anywhere that wasn't you know they right. you never know you were in the air is basically what they're saying they're like oh this is like magic it's it's a magic carpet in the 1930s I did find a little hard to believe there was moments where they hadn't taken off yet. They're still skipping along the water. They're they're on their kind of takeoff <laughs> run. And someone's just nonchalantly walking down the aisle. And in, in the windows, you see the water. I'm thinking... I'm thinking it's a not quite that smooth. Not that smooth, but do also think about well. For do think about you can get up to to speed on water and then lift off, and they wouldn't have had to go very high. First of all, think about the buildings at that time. The what the Chrysler Building was that I suppose that was built at that point, but the Chrysler Building was one of the tallest buildings in the world at this point, and um, it, and so they wouldn't have had to have got very high <laughs> to clear all of the buildings. But then, uh, yes, the walking around is exaggerated. But then also think the people who are making this movie, who are writing this film and directing this film, have probably not flown on an airplane. They probably haven't made one. They've probably never been on one. Very good point. It's like when we make movies about Mark, uh, not Mark Wahlberg. (laughs) (laughs) When we make movies about, oh, oh, what's his face, you know, crashing on Mars and we imagine what it would be like. Well, we have way better resources though than they did because we have the internet. If you want to know what the inside of a spaceship ship, spaceship spaceship looks like, you just go Google it. Whereas for them, they had to, you know, arrange a tour on one of these planes and make quick notes and then rebuild it as a set. And then, you know, and gosh, if they got the chance to go up in the air, they were, you know, it was this one time quick thing probably. Mm-hmm. But yeah, research at that time looked very different than it does today. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, I wanted yeah. to give you guys a taste. That's fun. No, that's great. Yeah. That's an awesome little how, bit of trivia. How that's very cool. Yeah, this movie would have made 
been so fascinated with people at this time because it was brand new technology. Well, newish technology. Certainly, it was being used in new ways, and uh, the the idea of crash landing in a plane would have been terrifying. Mm-hmm. I love the, the. I don't love the moment, but I do kind of love the moment where the plane is made a water landing essentially in the ocean. Everybody's jumping out the side of it, and then it explodes. For yes. no apparent reason whatsoever. <laughs> it's just like, well, I'm not going to make it any further. <laughs> you know, like, oh, that's like the, the <laughs> yeah, that's a real moment right there. Uh, you know, also people, they're in a seaplane and they all decide they need to jump out of it into the ocean. Yes. Yeah, I was wondering about that, too, right up to the point when it exploded. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. But point, I'm not sure why it exploded. <laughs> I suppose it was, uh, I don't, well, I mean, gosh, why did the one that exploded in midair explode? Who well, knows yeah. what they maybe had it on was, Maybe it was more uh, <laughs> more of a miracle that they didn't explode it, back then. It sounds like it. Yeah, it really does. But gosh, if they got hit by lightning, you know, they lose ele- electrical and then who knows what's on fire at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the first probably almost, what, 15 minutes of the film, 15 minutes, (laughs) I think. It only took us a half hour to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) We could have acted the whole thing out in this time. (laughs) But it is funny. And so then they all wake up on the island the next morning. And I, as they start going, what's that noise? And looking around, I immediately had very, very strong flashbacks to Lost. I couldn't help. (laughs) I believe this movie was the inspiration for Lost. And then they were like, well, it's not exciting enough to meet a man on an island. We'll make a smoke monster. (laughs) (laughs) I... I went Gilligan's Island. I, I definitely <laughs> felt like there was a Gilligan's Island vibe on this thing. Uh, just, it does go there that was just direction. A few more cast members. Yep. <laughs> uh, especially when you get into the middle of the film and the uh, platinum blonde maintains her platinum blondness in the makeup, in curls, oh, in and the makeup. perfect makeup the whole time. They yes. don't have clothes. But they have makeup and curls. But you know, gosh, you couldn't you couldn't really show them very messed up. Oh, that'd be un. What would that be? No. <laughs> that unethical, but it'd be un. Bad en- it's bad enough that you're there in torn clothing oh. and oh, the one woman who holds her top up with someone's necktie. I actually really appreciate it. That was one of the yeah, things about so this movie. Fun. I really appreciated that they didn't all have pristine clothes the whole time. Mm-hmm. Now it, it is. A little questionable, I think, because we have because um, we have Jim and Anne in perfect clothing near the end. Presumably, he packed clothes in preparation for taking a boat and going to this island. But even with that, I don't see a whole lot of Clorox bleach around. I don't see even like a hand washing machine. So I do. It, it's certainly no clothes iron, and there were some pretty nice creases in those oh, definitely. Pants. Yeah, uh, Ping uses hot rocks. I think that's <laughs> there. You go. He just heats them up in the sun and then just lay. Them. Yeah, it doesn't he work does that the way. <laughs> but yeah, he does the irony. No, he does the ironing. <laughs> you know, they they do make a point of you know making their clothes tattered and everything. But either they've been on the island for a lot longer than I thought they were. <laughs> Or they're, I don't know what they got up to that their clothes were quite in the state that they were in. Well, at one point when Ping has, so we haven't even talked about the boat being hijacked. Have we talked about the boat being hijacked? The boat gets hijacked by a couple of the, sorry, by a couple of the 
I almost call them refugees. They're not refugees. <laughs> By a, shipwreck survivors. There you go. Yes, the plane survivors. Wreck, shipwreck. Thank yeah. you. And they take Ping with them. And at some point, I believe they say, it's been three months. We should have been there by now. Mm. And if that's, if I remember that correctly, I probably should clip over real quick and watch that part again. But in that, in that case, they would have been there at least six months because Ping then has to try and get the ship back. And <clears throat> I hope I didn't just do massive spoilers. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> And we don't know how long they were on the island before they finally got up the nerve to hijack the the boat or to steal the boat. Mm-hmm. I yeah. wouldn't even say it's hijacked; it's they, it's stolen. Stolen, yeah, absolutely. So they could. I kind of. It kind of got it in my head at some point that they were there for at least six months, but you know, probably not more than a year. Okay. Yeah, they definitely had the look of like being there for a year. Yeah, the way they, the, some of the clothes, the way they were tattered and torn. Yeah, and in some cases, I, they must have been just chopped off. <laughs> one of the fellows was wearing what I mean, I would just call shorts. I think yeah. Bruce, Bruce Cowan. Well, I, I suppose if you're on a, uh, a a desert island, long pants really isn't going to be the thing that <laughs> right? you're going to want to. Not the most convenient. I suppose it depends on how many bugs there are. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> but, you know, he probably sacrificed one, uh, one or more of his trouser legs to some one of the ladies' clothings, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Oh, uh, that's, a, yeah, very possible. The entire time on the island was, gosh, it was an odd time. <laughs> I mean, they were there, and they seemed like they were only there so they can learn lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one woman who was a business owner that was trying to like bust the union mm-hmm. that was trying to form in her shop or something mm-hmm. like that. And she learns that, uh, no, turns out they, they, they're right. They, they deserve a break and they deserve this time off. And it's, it's that kind of lessons that everyone learns when they're on the time on their time on the Island. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it takes up a good third of the film. And then the rest of it is just, them being kind of goofily island, it, it, it felt like a Gilligan Island It, it did a little bit. There are some moments that, so I wanted to point out, I really like Mary Martin in this. She plays Iris. We mentioned her bottle blonde hair. But her character through this whole thing is just so entertaining. She's mm. this, uh, you know, witness for the prosecution that's been told, get out of town until it's safe to come back, basically. And she's got just this dry... Just real dry outlook. I think at one point. Very beautiful, isn't it? Now look, my name is Malone. Does it make you happy? Honolulu, Hong Kong, or Shanghai, kid? Shanghai. Help? No. Vacation by request. Then you and I ought to knock off a few hours without boring each other. What's your racket? Besides health. Me, I'm the forgotten man. Trying to make myself a little more forgotten. From the land? Don't be so definite. I'm not exactly on parade. Well, I suppose you're one of our country's enterprising young men girdling the world for new business. Uh, perhaps you'll make a fourth a bridge. Cards for money? Why, that would be gambling. Say, hey, we seem to be two of a kind on this deal. Just keep it that way. Now, don't get your face red. This is a long trip. We both have a lot to think about. Let's hold everything under control. Sure, that's okay. Say, you seem to be pretty regular. 
You're regular too. <laughs> I love I love these two their interactions with each other. It it is a weird movie. It's not really a comedy, but there are certainly scenes that play out as if it's a comedy. I think that's maybe part of the confusion of this movie is you don't really know. Okay, were they trying to make a comedy? Were they trying to make a tragedy? Because there's a moment in this movie that's very sad. Um, Mrs. Franklin has uh, an accident and then they're talking about her son and the result of that conversation is kind of, oh, wow, that's really heartbreaking is the, you know, the response to that is that's really heartbreaking. And, and then they just kind of go, oh yeah. And then everybody just moved on with life. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, jokes with uh, the guy going to the girl's hut and saying, Hey Iris. And then just a fist comes out and nails him in the jaw. I laughed (laughs) out loud, but, but there's, (laughs) it's this weird dichotomy you don't really know what movie you're watching you can't tell if it it feels like there are moments in it that are really good dramatic moments and there are moments in it that are really good comedic moments but they do feel like you're saying like you're watching two different movies yes well and they each kind of take the different roles on the island and like iris gets to be in charge of like supplies because she used to be a stenographer or something. She has like office experience or something. Yeah. Like, that, <laughs> what? <purse> or something. <laughs> yeah. And so the, yeah, there is again, the really funny moment when early on the uh, Senator is saying, Oh no, no, we'll, we'll divide everything up. It'll be very democratic. Okay. You do this, you do this. Put it here. We must all cooperate. Ah, very clever of you girls. I'm very fond of tennis. Now, let's go about this in organized, democratic fashion. We'll divide up the work. Mrs. Sidney, can you cook? I've been frying fish for 30 years. Fine, fine. Uh, Jessup, you can prepare the vegetables. Malone, uh, you can clean the fish. Mrs. Thelma Chase may serve the meal, if you will. And uh, Mrs. Weston, you can clean up afterwards. Brandon Honeyman, you can gather the wood. There now, that's democratic. Outside of eating, Senator, just what do you do? Why, I'm the organizer. Oh, who elected oh. you? If this is going to be democratic, let's have an election. Here, here, here. I nominate the senator to clean the thing. I have just a minute. I second the motion that the senator cleans the thing. All in favor? Aye. Again. Aye. I, uh, I protest. Overall. This is against all conceptions of democracy. It's a virtual, a virtual dictatorship. On the contrary, senator, it's perfect democracy. The voice of the people. If you don't clean the fish, you don't eat. <laughs> and he's like, no, I objected. They're all, all of them together go overruled. It's so funny. And then you have, you know, these desperate guys, these fist fights, and then somebody gets shot, and then somebody else gets shot. And and then, yeah, it's 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 a strange... I don't... I, I'm just cocking my head to the side a little bit, going, huh? <laughs> it's, I, and it's not that we don't like the comedic interludes in it. They are appreciated, but they don't flow the serious moments and the funny moments it's not that there's bad editing or bad directing it's more the script kind of doesn't know having heard the the quote that you provided i think from madge evans is that right Mm -hmm. um having heard her saying he just the director showed up every day with just like what the heck is this now you wonder how many rewrites he was getting, you know, on a kind of daily basis and I almost wonder if he didn't let what's the word the what's the phrase where you just let the you let the farm run itself. <laughs> it's not the farm yeah. running itself. But you let I, I was just thinking 
and you can take this in, in multiple ways is this film felt like it didn't have any direction mm-hmm. or certainly not cohesive direction. There are moments yeah. when you can tell the direction is really there, but then there are moments too, where it's kind of like, like, like there are funny things in it. When, uh, when the guy on the Island, Jim says, well, you can have my fish, but not the cooked fish. You got to go cook the fish yourself. And they all scramble for the fish and the people grab it and bolt off and the three left without fish are the women <laughs> are the, are the not Iris, the other three women, Mrs. Franklin and Anne and Thelma. And they're just kind of standing there going, Oh, there's, there's no fish left where, you know, we would assume in any civilized society or we would at least pretend to assume in any civilized society that, of course, oh, oh, we need to make sure the women are cared for and have food. Oh, yeah. And by the way, would you mind cooking some for me, too? But it's not like that. Right. The guys are grabbing the fish and slapping each other. With them. And it's like and I can't tell. I can't tell if that's an intentional choice showing, oh, these people have no manners and no consideration for each other or if it genuinely was a free-for-all and everybody else ran away and these women are left here going uh, uh there's not enough fish for all of us they're you know the the actresses are just standing there going what they were supposed to be okay i guess i didn't get one the f- entire film when i say it, no direction yes i i feel like james whale was just kind of like whatever mm-hmm. But I also feel like the movie itself was, where is this going? And did it get there? Mm-hmm. I mean, what was the point? Yeah, like, oh, there was a cra- there was a plane that crashed. Hey, let's make a movie about that. Uh, yeah, give me some pages by next week. Yeah, very much. Uh, we've got we've got a great title. Yes. <laughs> here's here's the poster. <laughs> James, make the movie. Yes. Yeah, we'll get you. We'll get you tomorrow's lines tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Just shoot today's today. And then that right. might have explained him walking out going, what the heck is this? When we've seen that yeah. he can make movies. Yeah, the whole, uh, the very I, the title alone, Sinners in Paradise, just makes this film sound like it's going to be much more salacious <laughs> than it is. <laughs> it, I mean, there is a level of salaciousness to it, but we are at this point well into... Um, we're past pre yeah, code Yeah, we're... we're we're postcode. Yes, we're yeah. postcode at this point. We're well into, but so it is fairly salacious. There is some very heavy-handed morality at the end of it. A very heavy-handed morality. Did I mention there's some very heavy-handed morality at the end of it? And it is kind of funny. So you've got this guy that's a murderer. You got this lady that's an informant for the mob. And they do kind of seem to get off scot-free. And then you got this Mm -hmm. woman whose husband kind of neglects her or something worse. And you've got this guy who presumably, you know, avenged his sister. And they get the they get the crap end of the deal. Can I say crap end? Can I say crap? Yeah. <laughs> they, yep, you're they good. Get the bat, they definitely get the short end of the stick. And everybody else just kind of is no better off or worse off than they were before. Well, except for the, you know, the thieves, but they are dealt with as they're right. dealt with. But it doesn't feel like it, it's it's weird. It plays out like a morality tale. But when you start picking it apart, you go, but what about these people? This guy's a thief for sure and probably a murderer. She has been working mm-hmm. with the mob. So... And then you got a senator. I was going to make an all politicians are crooks jokes, but I'm I'm being <laughs> facetious. I'm being tongue in cheek. So also, I don't want to be arrested. So <laughs> <laughs> it's 
and then you know you have yeah you've technically got like a tur- a change of heart with the lady that owns the factory but uh, you know she's not she's not turning into mother teresa or anything like that and no. one of the best people in the whole thing i suppose the two truly innocent people the two truly decent people in it both die mm-hmm. the two people that really don't deserve to die do die when i was watching the film and we're dealing with all these people and you just rattle them all off and everything this is a film that is cast heavy. it is there are so many people on the screen that keeping track of you know get your scorecards you know who <laughs> who's who's learning what this time and which one is this which brunette and, okay, am i looking the, at yeah <laughs> yeah which brunette is this thank god there's a blonde uh-huh. i can okay that's iris which tall got guy it. is this okay wait he's got a mustache yes. so i know who he is <laughs> right yeah his clothes are nice that's jim gotcha <laughs> who's the rest of these people yeah okay this guy's <laughs> is older is this the mob guy or is this the crooked businessman <laughs> seriously yeah. yeah and there are two of them i just couldn't keep straight the whole time and i've seen it a couple of times now yeah, very very uh, cast heavy. They really could have trimmed it down a little bit, and then maybe they could have actually told a cohesive mm. story that actually seemed like they went somewhere. It just felt like this things just happened in this. It, it is weird, and you have the lady with the tarot cards at the beginning, and she's able to accurately predict everything that happens up to a point, and then it's just like they never bring that back. Well, mm-hmm. Why don't? Okay, well, I understand the plane crashed, but, you know, couldn't you make some new tarot cards? Maybe that carries on in the story. <laughs> or maybe you find another way to predict the future. Or, you know, it seems like there are some empty threads. There's not empty threads. There's there some loose threads that yeah. maybe weren't taken full advantage of. The problem with it is, too, you kind of don't notice that it's not that good of a story. It's not... Oh, I think I know. Well, <laughs> it, it's you don't notice in the sense that the sets are pretty decent, the uh, the locations are pretty convincing. It's an interesting premise for a story. There's a lot going on. Uh, you don't have exceptionally bad acting. You don't have exceptionally bad direction. And then it kind of, I, I think maybe early on, I didn't notice. I think for a lot of it, I didn't notice that I was dissatisfied with it because when you don't know where it's going and then it gets to the end and you go, oh, well, that was very dissatisfying. You don't know it's going to (laughs) be dissatisfying. So you're kind of waiting for it to all click together and make sense. Or you being me, of course. So, yeah, it's it's a weird movie because it's not it's not overtly bad. It's just also not very good the story's not very good it's got some really it's got some genuinely funny moments in it it's got some interesting concepts in it but it isn't very developed yeah no it's not adventurous enough to be an adventure film Mm -hmm. it's not funny enough to be a comedy Mm -hmm. it's not dramatic enough to be a drama Mm -hmm. pick a descriptor it's not enough of it (laughs) it's like a plane flight so you get on the plane. <laughs> Back to the plane. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in the air, and then you land, and really nothing has changed. Except you're somewhere else. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go with that analogy. <laughs> yeah. It's better than a box of chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, and then you're like, huh, I just spent an hour on a plane. Okay, now time to move on with my life. 
<laughs> I definitely think I was expecting a little bit more out of this. And I think a, a more tighter cast and a little bit more developed story certainly would have helped. Although I guess that could be said of a lot of films. That seems a pretty, pretty uh, generic uh, complaint. No, I agree. I think there are at least two superfluous characters in this, probably four. And just looking at the list of characters right now, I think you could argue that four, let's see, six of these people are really, truly necessary to the plot. Yeah, and I think that's about it. Out of a dozen main, quote, main characters, unquote. Jim Taylor refuses to take him back to the mainland because we discover that he murdered somebody. Even that murder is sort of like a gray area or whatever. And he, he, we're assuming, and he's, he's assuming that as soon as he goes to shore, he's going to be arrested. Mm -hmm. Why do you really think they have, uh, officers just hanging out all around the the coast, just waiting for this guy to show back up? (laughs) It's been however many years later, you know, since this crime happened. I mean, we, we don't know. We do know that the lady has said she hasn't heard from her son in a year. Yes. So it All could right. have been fairly, been yeah, at the beginning, it's been, uh, I think she says over a year, but we'll go with a year. He doesn't even have to leave the boat. He can take the boat, yeah. take <laughs> them back to shore and go, hey, these people crashed. Well, and and he, does he doesn't mention- have to tell anybody. He's like, okay, here's, here, you're, you're, you're at the dock. Everyone get off. See Bye, you later. Yeah. And he leaves again. Yeah. Well, and I think he does mention at one point when he's talking to Ping, he says, well, I could just take him and land him on a beach and at night when nobody will see. And, and I, I kind of get, the, I, and then he starts talking about that being the plan. He's going to take six of them back and, and so on. And then the boat gets stolen. And so I think probably, you know, the idea being that he would have worked around to that, mm-hmm. but it, and I suppose if they're still three months away from their end destination of China, it really is true. They couldn't have fit every all 12 people on the boat. <laughs> that is probably fair. That was a very small boat for like 12 people. Yeah, I just I just feel like this, one of the main premises of the film that's supposed to bring on this drama is flawed. Well, I mean, I don't I don't think he I don't I don't understand why he assumes that someone's going to immediately nab him. If he takes these people, if he goes to shore. Well, you know why? It's because it's in the script. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it, exactly. It's in the script. I, maybe because the boat's registered. Did he take his boat? Uh, or, Did he steal a boat? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, maybe the registration when it shows up at the, you know, at the dock. <laughs> They're going to see I, it in the I computer in 1938. <laughs> yeah. It, exactly. it is. Yeah, there there are definitely some faulty points in this movie. <laughs> I think we could I think we could go through and rehash every faulty point and basically tell the entire plot of the story de facto without right. without intending to do it because I don't think there's a I there isn't really a lot in this that doesn't have a flaw that we could pick at. And so I think the question has to come back around to is it an interesting movie to watch? I mean, it's not a great movie. I think we've bluntly stated that. The question is, is it even worth the time? For me, I'm going to say no. I really, it, it's not worth it for me. <laughs> I think it's, it, I think it's worth it in a couple of situations. I think for one, if you're a completionist, 
if you're a completionist and you're trying to watch every James Whale movie, of course you have to watch this movie. Sure. Uh, if you are just desperate to watch more Gene Lockhart, you know, or if you're looking into Madge Evans or you're looking into one of these, uh, one of these actors and you're really interested, or if you recognize somebody and go, how do I know that? How do I know Don Barry? Isn't he that guy in Gunsmoke? He looks like that guy in Gunsmoke, you know, and you're trying to, if you find out that. Morgan, Morgan Conway was Dick Tracy. Yeah, so, yeah. Great example. So if you're like trying, if you are like me and you get on a theme and you have to watch every Daniel Radcliffe movie or you're just going to not feel fulfilled <laughs> in life, you it's worth watching this movie. And I say, I think in a second situation, it's worth watching it too. If you're just looking for something to put on in the background that you don't have to watch too closely, it's got some interesting stuff going on, a little bit of action, and you're not really trying to find a movie that's going to hold your deep attention and really change your life. I think this is a, is a fun romp. I don't think that it's ne- – it's kind of got a little bit of everything. It's got a little drama. It's got a little tragedy. It's got a little romance. It's got a little comedy. It's got a little plot. Only a little plot, but it's got a little plot, <laughs> you know. And I think if you're looking for that kind of movie and you're just kind of interested to see what was out there, or let's say you're a massive Boeing 314 Yankee Clipper enthusiast <laughs> and you've already been to Foynes, Ireland, and you really want to experience what it felt like when the flight that left Foynes and got caught in bad weather and turned back came back, landed in Foynes, Ireland, and were served a brand new drink that had coffee and Irish whiskey in it. The first time anybody ever experienced (laughs) that and asked, is this Brazilian coffee? And the cook said, no, it's Irish coffee. Legitimately, the origin of Irish coffee came about because of of transatlantic flights. Now you know another piece of history. (laughs) All right, that's that. I was wondering what you were holding on <laughs> that to. That was the one other thing. If you're a big Irish <laughs> coffee fan, maybe you should watch this movie just to get an idea of what it may have been like to be one of those people at that time that got served the very first cup. But Had had the plane gone the other had direction? Had the plane been transatlantic instead of trans-Pacific? But no, I think, you know, if you're just looking for something fun to watch, if you want, oh, great example, my husband and I are going to go to a um, – a casino, a 1920s casino night this weekend, because we do things like that for fun. Uh, if you are desperately researching costumes <laughs> and you just want to know what people really wore in 1938, why not watch this movie? Do you want to know what <laughs> shipwreck people wore in 1938 or people when they were getting on a plane before they were, you know, plane yeah. wrecked or shipwrecked? If you want to know how the cast of Gilligan's Island should have looked <laughs> after all those years. Yeah, instead of having perfectly clean clothes. <laughs> yeah, how, how Gilligan kept those pants white <laughs> all those years. <laughs> I, I would tell you, but I'm afraid this would become a completely <laughs> different kind of podcast at that point. So, <laughs> so if you had to take all this and put it into a number... Where would you put it? I really, really want to give it like kind of a middling number. I do because I didn't hate this movie. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was fun. It felt like a it felt like a a, a light hearted ish, interesting ish kind of what if premise. But truthfully, I can't give it better than a two. I don't think it's a one though. 
I mean, it does have a beginning, middle, and an end. We've seen movies right. that don't. Uh, it does actually have, you know, dialogue, and it does have things happen, and it, it doesn't have a very satisfying ending per se, but it doesn't have a super dissatisfying ending. The directing is not poor. The acting is not poor. It, it just is. It's not bad enough to only get a one. And I want to. I want to be able to argue myself into a three because there's some funny stuff and some really enjoyable characters. Again, if you haven't watched this yet and you're gonna, despite the inevitable ratings we're working toward, do keep an eye out for for Robert and Iris, for Malone and and Iris Compton. I think they're a fun duet in this. But um, yeah, I think it's got to be a two. I don't think. No. I don't think I can argue myself in either direction, up or down from that. No, I will say that I didn't hate it, but I didn't really like it. So that's where I fall onto the two. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's not one of those where I would say, hey, definitely don't watch this movie. It's not the last movie I would ever recommend out of the podcast. So if you haven't watched it yet, I actually do encourage you to go watch it, despite the two Othel rating. And let us know what you think about it by commenting on Facebook or sending us a message. Yes, absolutely. Please do. And with that, I think we will go ahead and just wrap this up. I mean, we're, I think we are done with Sinners in Paradise. Um, Lydia, thank you very much. I've, you know, I think you and you got a little bit more out of this than I did. I, I really, yeah. We already know that I enjoy a a little romance here and there. And that sounded bad. But you know what I mean? (laughs) In movies, in movies, I enjoy a little romance here and there. And yeah, you know, there's some comedy in that. I appreciate that. But you're right. I think, you know, I, I, even, even the most diehard fan of any of these actors would be hard put to give this a very high rating. But it Mm -hmm. was, as always, very fun to talk about with you, Christopher. So that'll do it. Thank you very much for listening again to Bill. Thank you very much if you happen yes. to tune in this one. This is definitely not uh, in his <laughs> not uh, wheelhouse, style, so I don't but... <laughs> know if he'll listen to this one or not. But it's new, so, you know, have at you. <laughs> That's right. Maybe when he finally gets through the back catalog, he finally he'll get into this one. Oh, I guess this is the last yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much for your message. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was really great, and uh, we really appreciate Absolutely. it. And for anyone else, if you'd like to go... Be as cool as Bill. Fire something off to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. But that is going to do it. We'll be back in another month with another film. Until then, thanks very much for listening. Bye. Bye.